0: Good morning. If you got your Bibles, we're in Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4. Before panic sets in your heart that I just said two chapters. One is a list of a bunch of names. That's your homework tonight. Go home and read every name and pronounce it out loud. If you live with someone, you got to say it to each other so you can laugh at each other, okay? Because I'm going to mess up on some names as we go through as well. Nehemiah, I'm going to start in chapter 4 because, like I said, chapter 3 is on you <laughs> later, okay? So, Nehemiah chapter 4, starting verse 1, it says, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers of the army and the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in one day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish and the burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captive. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out of your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all of the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward, And that the breaches were beginning to close and they were very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies... And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from the, all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest part of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans by their, with swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God has frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. And as you continue in chapter 4, you see the plan that was set in motion as they continued to build the wall. Today as we begin, I brought some props with me. You know what these are? Huh? Building blocks, right? D- donated by our preschool department for this illustration, just for the record. Right? Y'all remember playing with these as kids? Huh? How did you stack them up? Did y'all do it like this? Or were y'all more of these kind of people? Huh? No? I was this kind of guy. But we all know what happens, right? Especially in the preschool department. That happens. But see, we have building blocks in our life. Each and every one of us have building blocks that we build upon, right? Let me just throw out some dates. There's certain dates in life that we just have locked in our head of where we were and what we were doing. For example, August twelfth, two 2016, where were you? What happened that day? The flood happened. A big flood happened. I know where I was. I was crossing the Tickfall in Springfield. And I told my kids to unbuckle, roll down the windows because the water's about to come over the bridge because we didn't know it was raining because in Mandeville, it didn't. We were bringing medicine to Walker and all of a sudden we're driving in. It's like, wait a minute, (laughs) what's going on here? I remember where I was that day. What about June 25th, 2009, anybody? I was in Peru on a mission trip. Matter of fact, I think the Zwodniak's kids were with me. That was the day Michael Jackson passed away. I know you're thinking, why do you remember when Michael Jackson passed away? Because it was weird in Peru when Michael Jackson passed away. It was weird, people were boo-hoo crying. Our bus driver looked at us and he goes, my number one regret in life was, is I never saw him in concert. I went, that's your number one regret? It's also the same day Farrah Fawcett passed away. I got that text in Peru from people back in America. They texted me and said, did you know this happened? I'm like, no, I'm in Peru. But I remember that date, it's locked in. What about August 29th, 2005? I Katrina hit. I I was in the huh? I was in the you were in the hospital. I was about to go to church and we found out, hey, it's coming and we canceled, right? Now, September 11th, I don't even have to tell you what year that was, right? 2001, we know where we were. I was in seminary, I thought it was, I thought it was a psychology joke because it was so absurd to us of what just had happened. August 31st, not, 31st, 1997. August just isn't a good month, by the way, just for the record. Be prepared. August. Huh? Princess Diana passed away. Huh? You get bonus points today, Mackie. Good job. Right? But we're sitting there, and I turn on the TV, and we see it on TV. And what's my first reaction? Mom. She's in the kitchen. Mom, you got to come see this. Something just happened. But there's certain things that trigger in our memory when this happens. January 28th, 1986. What was that? Challenger exploded. Third grade Miss Smith's class. And I remember we got no work done that day. You know why? Because there was a teacher on the shuttle. So they brought in one of the two TVs in all of the elementary school and the third grade and fourth grade watched it over and over all day because that happened. I know where I was when that moment happened. Those are public days, right? I throw out those dates you know, but if I throw out July 27, 2002, that's a personal date for me. That's the date I got married. February 14th, 2004. Y'all call it Valentine's Day. I call it Braden's birthday. <laughs> okay? June 8th. June 6th, 2008. It's my daughter's when she was born. So I have a Valentine baby and a D-Day baby, just for the record, okay? No symbolism there at all. But June 16th, 2019. It was Father's Day. That was the day I started here. Because in our life, we have certain things that are mile markers along our way. They're building blocks in our life as we go. You have those building blocks in your life. As you go along, you just remember certain days and where you were, certain things that happen. Here, the Israelites are coming back and they're building the wall. They're building the wall. Let's just take into consideration the wall is not just bricks and mortar. The wall represents so much more. The wall represents, one, the physical barrier, the protection that takes place. But the wall also represents an identity of who the people are. This is where the Israelites live, within these walls. And our God resides here because the temple is here. And then on top of that, it's the distinctive mark. Right. Once you cross that wall, you know you're going into the city of Jerusalem. You know you're going in to where you can go and do your worship because the temple is there. It's a sense of protection, a sense of identity, a sense of distinctiveness. So as we talk about building the wall today, here's the good news. There is life beyond the rubble because God rebuilds his people. Please join me in prayer today. Father God, we come before you. And I'm so thankful that there's life beyond the rubble. Because in the building blocks of our life, in the building blocks of our life, we know there's been times when those walls have crumbled. We know that there's times when the rubble is all around us. But Father, you're in the business of rebuilding people. Father God, we lift up this scripture to you. We lift up this message to you. We lift up our hearts to you. Open our eyes and ears to hear your word today. In your name we pray, amen. So as we talk about life beyond the rubble, and that God builds, rebuilds people's lives, the first thing I want to talk about is that rebuilding requires a response from you. It requires a response. In chapter 2, Nehemiah casts cast the vision. In chapter 2, Nehemiah has had the big pep rally. He's gotten the people together. They have cheered. They have set their mind to work. Matter of fact, it says, let us rise up and build. And everyone agrees and said, yes, let's move forward. What happens if it just stops there, though? What happens if it's just a yay, yay, hoop, 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 and no wall ever gets built? Because, see, rebuilding requires a response. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Elishib, Elishib, let's call him E the high priest rose up and he began to build the wall chapter 2 is where the vision was cast chapter 2 is where decisions were made chapter 3 is where the people responded and the wall began to be built cuz see there's two things that happens in a response two things that take place you're either obedient which means I'm going to stop doing what I'm currently doing and I'm going to focus on the things of God and I'm going to start going where God leads me. Or the other, this is a hard one, disobedience. Now disobedience a lot of times we think is going away from God and doing the opposite of God. I think disobedience the majority of times is when we do nothing. We just keep doing the same thing we've always done. God said change and you said I'm going to keep going my way. I'm going to keep going my direction. So see, there is a response that we need to make, a response of obedience, or by default it will be a response of disobedience. But to rebuild, there has to be a response. Now, in this text of 3 through 1, which, chapter 3, which you're going to read later, right? This is what you're going to notice when you read. There's a personal response, but then there's also a collective response, There are individual names that are getting called out, but what you also see is that the whole group and family and clans and tribe of Judah come together to build the wall, and it begins with the high priest. He rose up, and he began to build. And after him, the priests, the goldsmiths, the jewelers, the perfumers, the rulers, the keepers of the gate, the people from the surrounding areas. And it says in their sons and even in one family, it said that his daughters rose and began to build. Forty-six times in chapter three, you will find the word build, rebuild, or repaired. Forty-six times when you read through. Now, don't get, get lost and skip over some of that. God cared about each one of them. Nehemiah cared about each one and made sure that they got credit as they were going through, that they built, they repaired, they rebuilt the wall. Individuals that were leading the section to to walk out their front door and just say, hey, I'm going to take this part of the wall. Then there's some people that did a little bit more. There's this one guy that said, hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to build a thousand cubits of the wall. I know what you're thinking, 1,000 cubits. Duh, I'm not talking about cubes. We're not talking about cubes, cubits. That would be if you walk out our door, start building the wall, hang a left, go to I-12, go down the dirt road, hang a left by the barn, go all the way to Spoga. 1,000 cubits, 500 yards. He said, I will build the wall to the dung gate, to the trash gate. Now, just for the record, in case you were wondering, that's not the glamorous part of the city. The dung gate gate is where the trash went out. It went out to the refuse pile because when all the sheep and the horses come in, they leave things behind. You've been to a parade, right, when the horses come through. You notice the marching band's always in front of the horses, never behind. That would be thoroughly entertaining, just for the record. (laughs) That's me, though. All right, but... They take all the trash and all the refuse, and they take it out this gate. And this guy volunteered and says, look, I'm going to take the nasty job. And I'm going to take the the wall, and I'm going to take it all the way to that gate so no one else has to. And he volunteered, and he led a group that did that and built the wall. And see, this is what we see in, in 1 Corinthians 12 when Paul talks about that we are one body with many parts that we work together as one body because they rose up and they did their part on the wall to build the wall and restore Jerusalem within the community. But there were those that did not participate. Verse 5 of chapter 3, it says that the nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Let's take it a, another translation. But the Lord's would not stoop to serve the Lord. Some people thought building the wall was beyond them. That was too demeaning, and I'm not going to have a part of it. So what we see, whether it's politically, whether it was just personally, they said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. And they step back while other people pitch in and go. Because remember, there's a response involved. When we rebuild, there's a response that's required. And the response is either obedience or it's disobedience. That same mentality of the nobles in verse 5, that they would not stoop to serve the Lord, that's the same attitude that caused that wall to come down 70 years prior. It was the same attitude of we're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. Us worshiping that God is, is beneath us, and we're not going to do what he asked us to do. And because of it, now they got to deal with the rubble of the wall. So just as rebuilding requires a response, rebuilding requires us also to deal with the rubble in our life. It requires us to deal with the rubble. Have you ever been stuck in life? You know, when we talk about building blocks in life, I listed out some good ones up front, Right? I mean, the, the personal ones. But there are also times in life where you just get stuck. Have any of you ever just been stuck in life? Not sure what's going to happen next or where you need to go? Several times in my life, I've just been stuck, and it's like supposed to be the highlight of what's happening in life. Coming off a year, of, you know, doing mission work, and then you get here and you're like, God, what's next? And God's silent. And I just get stuck. God, what's my next ministry? Where are you calling me? Where do I need to go? What do I need to do? And it is a frustrating, it is a bad time. It is a crisis of your belief. And rubble appears in your life. Now, sometimes the rubble that's in your life, it's physical. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's an addiction in your life. Sometimes it's a relationship, and sometimes it's just spiritual, but there's rubble in our life. Sometimes we create these moments, and sometimes it's just the circumstances of life that come. 2016, when a flood hit, right? We didn't bring that on ourselves. We didn't wake up one day and turn on a water hose and said, what, yes, we're going to flood everything. No, circumstances of life just came by, and it left rubble in our life. It left the building blocks that got tumbled over, the wall that we were building to show, hey, this is where we're growing. This is how we're walking. And then all of a sudden, the rubble is there. But rebuilding requires us to deal with the rubble. Sambalot and Tobiah. Matter of fact, we've mentioned these two guys several times, and an uh, image keeps popping in my head. Y'all remember a bully named Scut Farkas and his toady Grover deal? off of the, uh, I think I got a picture here, off of Christmas story. When I read about these guys in Nehemiah, this is who pops in my head, <laughs> old Scott Farkas. So when Sanballat and Tobiah hear about the wall about to be rebuilt, they get angry. They get enraged and they jeer the Jews and he begins to taunt them. And, and, and taunt them and says, what are y'all doing? You can't do this. We've already seen where they've gone, and they've go back to the king, uh, to Archseize, and say, hey, you know what they're trying to do over here? You've got to stop this. But here, two times in chapter 4, they come back, and they jeer at them. They make fun of them. They laugh at them. The second time, what do they do? They get everyone around as well. You have the Samaritans to the north, the Arabians to the south, the Ammonites to the east, the Ashdodites to the west. Every tribe that circles Jerusalem, they get them all on board and says, do you see what they're trying to do? They're trying to rebuild the wall. We need to stop them from doing that. We're going to threaten war with them. So enemies all around Jerusalem are sitting there saying, hey, one day, don't worry, we're going to sneak up on you. We're going to get you hey, one day that wall will come right back down because we're going to attack you. And everyone on the outskirts of town keep hearing this and they just keep hearing it and it breaks them down mentally. It breaks them down spiritually because you see when God's in the business of rebuilding, two reactions happen. Anger is often a reaction from people outside of God's will. Anger is often the world's response to God's work because it challenges their worldviews and values. Sanballat ridiculed, twisted truth. He hit the weak spots of the, of the Israelites' lives. And when you stand against their anger, he just got angrier and angrier. Romans, Paul mentions this in Romans 12, verse 19 and 20. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because see, when we're trying to rebuild lives and we have to go through the rubble that's in our life, it may anger some people around us. Because we're trying to get right with God. We're trying to rebuild. And it may anger some people. Because it calls them out on their worldviews and what they value and what they're pursuing and it's different than what you have. Secondly, when you're going through the rubble, external pressures amplify internal weaknesses. External pressures, when they get angry and they start saying, hey, we're going to attack you, you don't know what you're doing, why are you building that wall? It'll never succeed. Well, people that have been beat down People that have the rubble in their life, they sit back and all their insecurities start coming to light. All their insecurities now start coming back up. In verse 10 it says, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. The Israelites are building a wall. They have been set forth by what God has called them to do. Nehemiah has put a plan in place, and they sit there and they say, it is just too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to build this wall. See, building the wall requires everyone to face their nation's community, their their nations, their communities, their family, and their personal failures. Because when we start sifting through the rubble, understand this when they walked out their door, and this was their section, this was their section of the wall to build, they had to take the rubble and move it so they could build on the new foundation. They had to take the rubble and remove it, and every brick they picked up reminded them about the failures of their past. Every brick they picked up meant their forefathers, their nation, their people, and maybe even some of them had disobeyed God. And the rubble was because of them. There's rubble in our life. And for us to be rebuilt by God, we have to sort through the rubble sometimes. And we have to pick it up. And we have to deal with it so that we can lay the new bricks down. So that we can have the clean foundation to start rebuilding in our life again so that we can move forward. Maybe there's times where you've cried out in your life, God, there's just too much rubble. There's just too much rubble for me to handle. I don't know what to do. Maybe there's been times where your marriage was crumbling, your family was splintering, your job was consuming you or about to break you. Your insecurities flared up. Your addictions called you back home. For you to move forward to be rebuilt, you've got to rebuild and you've got to deal with the rubble. But don't focus on the rubble. Focus on the foundation. Don't focus on the bricks that you're taking and cleaning up. Focus on the foundation that you're building on. But you still got to sort the rubble out as you go. That's part of what you do to be built up. Let me remind you remember, the good news today is there's life beyond the rubble because God rebuilds his people. Now, in that statement, I want you to know when we talk about life, beyond the rubble means there is something beyond the rubble in your life, there is hope on the other side. But it also talks about a God that rebuilds. And restores to the way that it should be. We must deal with the rubble in our life so we can move forward in our spiritual journey. Unfortunately, unfortunately, most of the time when we deal with the rubble in our life, it's not with a bulldozer. It's piece by piece. It's piece by piece. Which brings me to our third point. You respond. You respond, or we rebuild, by, with a response, we rebuild requiring us to deal with the rubble we rebuild requires action that is driven by your faith. There's action that's driven by our faith. When Sambalot and Tobiah verbally attack the first time in chapter 4 Nehemiah responds with a prayer and oh what a prayer. I love how it's written because in the Hebrew it doesn't say in the Bible when you're reading it it doesn't say and then Nehemiah offered a praise and a prayer up to God. It just period this is what they said immediately goes straight into a prayer. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land. They are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. The bullies came and Nehemiah cries out, And says, they're not despising us. They're despising you, God. Your people. And God, we're going to let you respond. And we're going to trust in you. The very next verse. The very next verse. What does it say in 6? So we built the wall. Wow. Wow. The bullies came out and said, you can't do this. What are you trying to do? Don't you know about your history? Don't you know everything going on? Nehemiah said, God, we turn them over to you, and we built the wall. Because rebuilding requires action that's driven by our faith. Nehemiah first took it to God. Second, they said, we're going to keep going because this is the way that God has called us to move. The wall was joined together because the people were joined together. Their faith drove their actions. In the, in the last part of that verse, we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. When Sambalot and Tobiah plotted against them next in the same chapter and people cried out about there being too much rubble, how does Nehemiah respond? With faith and action. Verse 14, and I looked and I rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Every time that they came and they bullied the Israelites, Nehemiah went to God. He went to God and came back with a plan of action. He went to God and said, We're not going to worry about them. God, you've got them. We're going to do what you've called us to do. From that day forward, they worked with one hand and they prepared to fight with the other hand. They had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other hand. They listened for the trumpet and they rallied wherever help was needed. They were always on guard and prepared. They had a plan. They had a plan to build the wall. They had a plan in case they were attacked for the wall to come tumbling down again. They had a plan that was built off their faith. 52 days later, the wall is done. 52 days, the wall was restored. Jerusalem was restored. It was protective. It was distinct. And it was, it was distinct in who they were as a people. We make all kinds of plans in life. We make retirement plans. We make school plans. We make grocery lists. We make diets. We make bucket lists. We have a list of things that we want to do and accomplish in life. We have lists and an action plan of what to do with work. Do we have a spiritual plan? Do you have a plan of how God can use you this year? At the end of 2021, do we look back and we see all the things that we have accomplished, all the things as we sorted through the rubble, as we begin rebuilding, do we look back and see where the hand of God is upon us? Or do we look back and we just say, well, I mean, we went to church. Hey, we heard a couple sermons. We went through a Nehemiah series, an Ezra series. Do you have an action plan based off your faith for your spiritual life? Because, see, there's some things when we talk about going through the rubble. We're talking about legacy issues. As they sit here and they say, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your house. Do we have a spiritual plan in our life that we can worship God and prepare for God to move and do great things in our life Do we get to the end of the year and we look back and we say, Well, 2021 happened. I don't know where God was. I didn't see him move in my life because we didn't have a plan to see where he's going, to see what he was doing. He led Nehemiah with an action plan that was driven by Nehemiah's faith. The people agreed to it, they pitched in, they did their part. It wasn't easy, but it was rewarding, it was satisfying. Walter Payton played for the Chicago Bears. Anybody Walter Payton? I believe it was the 1984 Super Bowl. It's one of the first Super Bowls I remember because it was the Super Bowl Shuffle. If you don't know what the Super Bowl Shuffle is, YouTube it later, right? They did a little song. (laughs) Walter Payton though, one of the best running backs ever when asked how is it that you're so good he says I do my best to make sure I always fall forward. I don't run out of bounds, I don't try to run away from defenders, I try to run through the defenders. And see his plan was is how am I going to get more yardage is that when I get hit I'm going to jump forward. I'm going to extend the ball out to at least get an extra yard. He had a plan when it came to running. If we're going to move forward, if we're going to build on our life. It's better that we fail moving forward, we fall forward, than it is for us to run backwards, than for us to go back. If we're going to do something, let's step forward, have a plan. How can I get a little bit more? How can I get a little bit extra when it comes to our walk with God? Fall forward. So now what? Now what? What do we do with this message? Two things. I've said it, and I just want to say it one more time, okay? Two things. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. In our life, when we're picking up the rubble, when we have times where there's rubble in our life, remember who the Lord is. He is awesome. He is good. He is great. Remember who he is. Even though you may not see where he's moving in your life, he is there. He is walking with you. He is comforting you. He is guiding you as you go. Remember the Lord. Secondly, fight. Fight for the things that matter in life. He is not against you, he is for you. And fight for the things that are worth sifting through the rubble for. You don't want to get to the end of life and realize, you know what, I should have fought for my marriage a little harder. I should have fought for my family a little bit harder. I should have fought for sobriety a little bit more. I should have reprioritized things in my life that mattered eternally versus temporal. Fight for the things that matter. Have a plan for the things that matter in life. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes because there is life beyond the rubble because God rebuilds people. Our invitation today is simple. What's the rubble in your life you need to sort through? How do you need to look and reflect on God? You may need to come during the invitation time, kneel and pray and just offer it up to God. I'll be in the back. We can pray after the service as well. Maybe you just need to go home and say, God, how do you need to move in my life and what's the plan that I need to create so that I can see you each and every day in my life as we move forward? The invitation's for you.